So we're still powering away, 51,778. But I've got a big question for you guys. And this question is based on what I saw yesterday in the Coinbase results. Yesterday, Coinbase published results. And part of the results, they showed that retail is not yet back in the market. In other words, all this buying in Bitcoin definitely isn't retail because retail is not here. And that kind of really ties up with our thesis because we see that the YouTube subscribers aren't here and that retail is not in the market. We also know that institutions aren't yet here. In other words, the money from the institutions hasn't yet started flowing. And you can listen to this. I'm anticipating that by the time we get to the end of 2025, we're talking two years, we're going to see total inflows of more than $150 billion. We're only at five right now. And what is what is going to propel? That's a big claim. That's a big number. What's it, going to propel that? It really isn't all that big when you do the simple arithmetic. Individual investment advisors, independents, those that are operating their own firms, collectively manage around $8 trillion in assets, and three quarters of them in every industry survey done by DACFP as well as by Bitwise, all show that three quarters of advisors say that they're going to allocate to these ETFs and that their average allocation is going to be about 2.5% of assets. Do the arithmetic. $8 trillion times 77% times 2.5% is $150 billion worth of flows. And that's just in independent advisors it excludes the wirehouses it excludes the regional broker dealers it so long story short we can see that the institutions also aren't here which means that we're at this price over here we're at fifty one thousand seven hundred and seventy five and neither the institutions here nor retails here what does it mean well it means that this bull market is going to be way 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 more aggressive than we thought I don't think that we can even fathom how big this bull market is going to be. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, because that's what the data says. And then we've got Meltem and Jordy with us today. And what they're going to be talking about is what they're investing in and how quickly they have been making their investments to catch this bull market. So listen, today's bullish. Super, super, super bullish. Let's go. Let's, let's have a bullish Friday banter. So, I mean, it blew my mind yesterday when I, was, when I was listening to the Coinbase results. And when they said, like, pretty much in the results, they were like, listen, the retail is not here yet. Our money is not coming from retail. And then they also said, like, well, institutions also really haven't arrived relative to what we we're expecting. And I just started thinking, hold, hold, hold on a second. If that's right, and right now we're at 51,000, we, we're, we're still 60 days away from the halving. Um, this is going to be much bigger than we thought. Way, 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 way bigger than we thought. I mean, again, just read these numbers. Um, still, still, the, the numbers were higher, but still below Q4 2020 and 16%. Only 16% of the Q4 2021 peak. Imagine that their revenue from retail activity is only 16% from the 2021 peak. That is what we have to get ourselves ready for. And so I think in this bull market, I think we're going to land up making a lot of money because we are here early. It's basically, th this is, this price rise, it's us. We're here early, and those that are here early are going to end up making most of the money. But guys, just a reminder that when if you are going to make money, if you are going to make money, the problem is that people are going to start coming after your money. The bigger crypto grows, the more people are going to start coming after your money. You have to protect yourself. There was a guy in the office this week. I'm not going to mention his name because I think he's suffered enough, um, who clicked on a malicious website this week. His entire wallet, he connected his wallet, which he probably shouldn't have done. His entire wallet has gone. $30,000 out of his wallet, 
gone, gone, gone. There's nothing you can do about it. The more money you make, the more people are going to come after your money. What you need to be doing is you need to protect yourself. Get yourself a VPN. A VPN masks your IP address. You can see that right now my IP address is visible and know exactly where I am and they can even work out my address. And that's not only the authorities, it's, it's hackers, it's everybody else. For $3 a month, you can protect yourself. It's $3 a month for you to protect yourself. That's it. Do it, guys. And once you've got that, you've got to also get the other product, which is Threat Protect. Because had the guy in the office had this website over here, he probably would have picked up that this was a malicious website, not the real website. He wouldn't have connected his wallet and he would have landed up saving his money. If you do want to get a VPN, you do want to support the channel, just go to the bottom of the video. You'll see there's a link like that below. Click on this link, sign up for Threat Protection, sign up for, for the NordVPN. Guys, please protect yourselves. I, I, I saw what this poor guy went through. Maybe if he agrees, we'll get him onto the show next week and he can tell you exactly what he did. It's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. Anyway, let's talk about happy, positive things. You want happy, positive things? Remember, if you want uh, a chance to win the Apple, Apple Vision Pros, you know what you need to do. You go to the bottom of the video. You sign up to, to Crypto Banter with any exchange link. Um, sign up with any exchange link. Also, if you want to win the Banter Bags, uh, sign up with any exchange link. Subscribe to Banter. Subscribe to Banter Plus. Subscribe. Let's smash the like button and let's get the show on the road. And today is an absolutely, absolutely crazy, 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 bullish, bullish, bullish show. Because not only are we going to talk about all the money flows, not only are we going to talk about, about uh, how quickly the inflows have been coming, not only are we going to talk about how high this bull market's going to go and all the narratives that Meltem and Jordi are investing in, but we're also going to look at the individual altcoins, the individual altcoins that each one of them is buying. So I think the first question I want to ask them is whether or not they were surprised by the speed at which this bull market happened. Jordi, Melton, welcome back. How are you guys? Good. It's Fair to say, there. yeah, it's intense out there. Fair to say a little bit caused, uh, caught out by surprise or if I would have asked you six months ago if Bitcoin would be trading at $52,000 on the week of Valentine's Day, you would have said that's exactly the plan. So I don't know if it was the plan exactly, but um, part of me is not surprised. I've been expecting a supply squeeze at some point. As soon as we, there's more demand than supply, you know, Bitcoin doesn't have a way to create more Bitcoin. So this was sort of inevitable. I'm surprised it's happening right now. It's just it's just a little sudden, but <laughs> look, I'm I'm the biggest bull in the world, and I was bullish when everybody else was bearish, and people call me always full of hopium. And there's not if you would have asked me, is there any chance that we're going to be at fifty two thousand in the second week of Feb, just one month and a few days after the ETF? I would have said to you, there is absolutely no chance in hell. Melton, what do you think? Most hated rally. I went on TV. I said, this is about to be the most hated rally in November of last year. We are still in the most hated rally because nobody was expecting it. All of the gurus out there were saying, oh, the ETF is a sell the news event. Oh, nothing's going to happen until Q3, Q4 of this year, because look at the chart. Look at the last three cycles and look at where we are. History definitely rhymes, but it doesn't repeat Look, the fact that BlackRock, IBIT, $5 billion in 30 days, that's crazy town for an ETF. That's, in, that's insane. QQQ, which is one of the largest ETFs in the world, it's taken them 20 years, right, to get to, I think, what, $250, 260000000000 In the first 
30 days, IBIT has 5 billion in inflows. That's, that's monstrous any way you look at it. So I remember, haters, I remember, haters keep it's so, not stopping. I remember when we spoke before the ETF launch, we said that if we get between five and $10 billion in the first three months, that would be an astounding, astounding, astounding success. Here we are one month and I don't know, five, six days after the actual official approval, BlackRock over 5 billion, Fidelity probably by the time, you know, this airs over 5 billion. Um, and then, you know, another 5 billion and the GBTC inflows also uh, coming out. Now, obviously one must look at when we say 5 billion, remember that the Bitcoin price has gone up a lot. And if this was on last week's price, we would be at 4.9 billion, but still they've still got 102,000 um, uh, 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 Bitcoin under their, their belt, so to speak. But the big question for me is, is the following, right? So we're in this bull market. When I look at the retail numbers, and I've got a couple of metrics that show me retail numbers, I look at Google searches, I look at, this is for me the most important metric, which is the YouTube subscribers. Not because I think it's great that we have YouTube subscribers, but this tells us when new retail people are coming in. It's not retail that's here. This, this rally is not being bought up by retail. Then I look at the institutional money. And I don't know if you guys heard this. I'll play it again for, in case you haven't. But just by the time it. we get to the end of 2025, we're talking two years, we're going to see total inflows of more than $150 billion. We're only at five right now. And what is, what is going to propel? That's a big claim. That's a big number. What's it, going to propel that? It really isn't all that big when you do the simple arithmetic. Individual investment advisors, independents, those that are operating their own firms, collectively manage around $8 trillion in assets, and three quarters of them in every industry survey done by DACFP as well as by Bitwise, all show that three quarters of advisors say that they're going to allocate to these ETFs and that their average allocation is going to be about 2.5% of assets. Do the arithmetic. $8 trillion times 77% times 2.5% is $150 billion worth of flows. And that's just in independent advisors. It excludes the wirehouses. It excludes the regional broker dealers. It excludes the institutional investors. Well, I mean, so, so, I mean, it's fair to say that the retailers aren't here, but the institutional investors also haven't got here yet. So who's fueling this rally? Well, that's the scary part, right? Like imagine when they do come, <laughs> what's going to happen? But that's why I'm asking because I'm trying to work out like if the money hasn't yet started to flow in and this whole rally is about the first 100,000 Bitcoin being bought in the BlackRock ETF and the advisors not yet advising their clients and getting approval from investment committees and stuff like that. And most advisors not even out there yet. And it's not retail that's funding this rally. What happens next? Well, the setup is very simple. The beautiful thing about Bitcoin is all of the data on is on chain, right? So we look at the data around Bitcoin, 70% of coins haven't moved in over a year. Coins on exchange reaching all time lows. This is the, the short squeeze, right? This is OTC disks, OTC disks running out of coins. This is the, the, the statistic that I, that I showed on my show this week. OTC disks just don't have enough reserves at the moment to fulfill demand. We're running out of coins. And also really interesting, by the way, if you talk to the big firms, right, at Fidelity, not every Fidelity client is allowed to buy their ETF yet. If you talk to Goldman, only private wealth clients can currently buy the ETF. Vanguard won't even let their clients buy. I'm on Schwab. Schwab won't let clients buy the ETFs, right? So if you think about these quote unquote floodgates, there's so many places where 
people who are accessing the market through a, a brokerage account or through money manager and RA, they can't even touch these products yet because they haven't moved from this high risk bucket that's only available to high net worth clients or private clients. It hasn't moved out of that bucket yet. And so that's what's really interesting to me, right, is yes, these products are live, but they're not accessible on many of the retail platforms. In fact, there was a huge move on crypto Twitter, right, trying to cancel Charles Schwab for not offering these nine tickers, right, or 11, however many it is at this point, to, to average clients. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, so I just think it's, it's, I am not prepared for what's about to happen next. And I've been one of the idiotic, maniacal people who's been pounding the table on this vision of a Bitcoin ETF for the last eight years professionally, right? First at DCG with Grayscale and now at, at CoinShares. We've been pounding the table for this. Now that it's here, um, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little scared. I wasn't prepared. <laughs> I must, I must be honest. I must be honest. Like I, you used the word scared and I never thought I'd say I was scared of a bull market, but I'm scared. And I'll, I'll tell you why I'm scared because in all the preparations that I made, the amount of money that I invested, the infrastructure that I built, the people that I built, I didn't expect for it to happen so quickly and so viciously. Jordi, how do you feel? Are, are you scared? You don't look scared. I'm not scared and I'll tell you why. And like all three of us here and I think you know, a lot of people watching the show, we are like educated about a space that a lot of people are going to want to start figuring out about and learning about. And, um, you know, the the price is the best advertisement. And that's why, like, it's not about Bitcoin being overvalued or undervalued, because as the price goes up, its value goes up because more people sort of buy in and like you know, more people need to allocate. So, um you know, even though I am like, you know, a bit surprised that it is happening suddenly, um, I, I do think that we need to take into account that we are fortunate that we've, you know, been learning about all this stuff and we understand, um, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum, you know, it's not just Bitcoin, right? Like Ethereum, I think very likely is, is going to get an ETF um, later this year. So that's going to be an interesting rotation that I'm quite excited about. Um, I mean, I love Bitcoin. I, I don't know if you remember, well, Rand, well, we were with Richard Hart, like uh, about a, what was it, like a, <laughs> during the bear market after FTX. And he was telling us, oh, it's going to go to 11K. That's, and we're like, come on, man. And he's like, no, 11. So, you know, I, I think, I think things have changed. Okay. So I want to ask you what's happening. We've been here for many cycles. I know, I know all of us have been here for many cycles. Melton's been here for way longer than I have. In fact, I remember when I first started uh, and I first met Melton, I actually met her when I was with CNBC and I was doing the CNBC show and we actually met in New York and we shot, we shot a couple of interviews in New York. I know Jordy's also been here for a while and having been here for a while, we've all seen the halving cycle, the, the halving cycles. And we've all seen this, this, you know, you, in various forms, we've seen that Bitcoin hits, it has a little dip before the, the halving, hits the halving, and then one year later, more or less one year later, hits an all-time high. Um, the question is, is everything happening quicker and sooner? Is the halving cycle changing? Like, w what's happening here? I can... I mean, I can give my take really quickly. I think one of the interesting things here is the macro setup is very different than it has been in the last 15 years of Bitcoin's history. I'm by no means a macro expert and I won't claim to be, but Bitcoin historically has been around in a zero interest rate environment, right? And really only for the last 18 months are we no longer in a ZERP environment, right? It's, it's a, a new paradigm, quote unquote, if you will, not to sound, you know, silly, but it, I think it really is a new paradigm. Uh, the dollar is under a lot of pressure 
you know, U.S. debt is at staggering levels and the government doesn't even have enough revenues to service the, the debt. Right. So we're just in this really interesting dynamic where I think all of a sudden all of the things we've been talking in our industry in this little microcosm on crypto Twitter is starting to make a lot of sense to a whole lot of other people. And I think that starts to change the dynamics. I also think the market itself structurally, like crypto's market microstructure has changed. Historically, crypto markets kind of operated outside of traditional capital markets. There wasn't a lot of connectivity, moving capital in and out of crypto is challenging. The ETF is one route, but don't forget JP Morgan, Goldman, Jane Street, Susquehanna, like Hudson River Trading, all these big firms, um, Cumberland, right, DRW, they all have crypto desks. They're all trading crypto regularly. They all have more traditional clients who historically have invested across a large number of asset classes. So this big hot ball of money that before has been limited just to the capital that's already in crypto and has entered its way in through Tether or the traditional banking system, there's now so many more routes into crypto. And I think that starts to fundamentally change the picture as well. And that actually, for me, is interesting to observe the ETH dynamic. ETH used to be sort of the on-ramp into the longer tail of higher risk assets. And there's always a rotation, right? Bitcoin wealth effect, people start to move further out on the risk curve. The way you got into those assets last cycle was through ETH. So you had a lot of people acquiring ETH to by ERC-20 tokens. Now it's no longer just ETH, right? There are all of these high-risk, long-tail assets that people want to rotate their wealth into, and you can get in through a variety of institutional sort of exchange TradFi channels. You can get in through other cryptocurrencies. Solana obviously seeing this effect happening real time. I think um, there are going to be a number of other L1s that see that sort of Bitcoin wealth effect carry over this year. So I just think there are some fundamental factors that have changed A, macro, B, market microstructure, and C, the way that you act Access the longer tail of risk assets in crypto. Okay, Jordy, what do you think? You know, we haven't heard like a lot of chatter about the halving, uh, like maybe because the inflation rate's already kind of low. And so, you know, it's different if you go from eight to four, you know, four to two and two to one, it starts, it starts to like not have as big an impact. Um, but it does feel, feel like it's more about the institutions are coming, which, you know, people thought was a meme, but. The reality is like you can have 10 Ecuadors and, you know, random countries adopting Bitcoin, but like one BlackRock just sneezes and it's, and it's just like a tidal wave, right? It's just a different level of assets that we're talking about. Um, so at this point, I think the institutional adoption um, really through like, you know, outflows of other assets. I think the interesting thing I saw was that the gold ETF is having 2 billion of outflows. I've got to show you this. I, 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 I have it here. I have it here. So I have the co- I actually have the correlation right here, which is um, you've got the Bitcoin ETF doing this and you've got gold doing this, which is, I mean, I don't know if it's, a, I mean, is it a coincidence? No, I don't think so. I mean, I'm one of those people who like, when I really got into Bitcoin in 2020, I used to have gold and I just got out of my gold and I just rotated. I was like, this makes more sense. So um Jordy, you are not on Peter Schiff's Christmas list anymore. No, it's okay. I never it's was. Okay. You're, you're on Satoshi's Christmas list, and, Christmas list and it's all good, my friend. So, I mean, yeah. do, you think, do, you, do you think that that's a real thing? That you, do, I mean, do you really think that wealth managers are putting 1% to 2% out of their gold allocations and putting it into the new gold? And Larry Fink went on TV and said that their clients are clamoring and like they want access to these products. I don't, I don't think he was making it up. 
So it's it's pretty evident that you know, like I said, the the price itself will drive more uh, pressure. It's kind of like Apple, right? Like everybody owns Apple because if you don't have it, like you know, you kind of screwed up your portfolio. Uh, Nvidia, whatever you know, Tesla. At some point, it kind of gets like more stocks, but um, I think Bitcoin is is one of those stocks, and I think Ethereum will be like the cool thing for the boomers pretty soon as well. Okay, let's talk about Ethereum because I think that that's the the elephant in the room here. ETH has done pretty much nothing. Everyone keeps saying that the obvious next trade is the ETH ETF trade, and that this ETH ETF is going to come down. I mean, I saw this this tweet of you. It says. 100 days left until the ETH ETF approval. Um, and so there's, you know, this is now, everyone's now counting the days for the ETH ETF approval. Is it a real thing? Because I'll show you something else that I saw. I've seen this, which is like, people are so frustrated by ETH that they're kind of going, this, the crypto money flow cycle, Bitcoin, large caps, mid caps, low caps. And this time there's no ETH. We're not seeing that Bitcoin, ETH, large caps. They're just kind of going Bitcoin, large caps, small caps. First of all, do you, is the ETH, ETF trade an obvious thing or not? I mean, I don't think ETH has done terribly. If we, if we look at the ratio, it's uh, it's actually quite a bit up today, and, and we're kind of getting back to that 0.055. And the reality is, with ETH, you're also getting you know, call it like an extra five percent yield on top of that every year. So it's it's performing fine. It hasn't like outperformed as a higher beta. That's true. Um, I mean, I don't know if I, 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 I don't fine. I don't know if I want to call that performing fine when I look at the the ETH BTC chart, and then if I look at the Sol ETH chart, I mean that paints a completely different picture. I mean, I think ETH's been an underperformer. It has been, um, but do we want to look backwards or look forwards? Right. So that's what I'm asking. Are we looking forwards and saying that the ETF trade is an obvious trade, or maybe just skip the ETF trade and just go straight to other big large caps? Uh, I think it's a it's an obvious trade, and sometimes you can overthink like the simple obvious answer in front of you and, and do something stupid. <laughs> um, the good thing with ETH is like the supply is out. There's no VC unlocks every single month for the next you know four years, like some of these other coins have. It's deflationary. It's not even you know <laughs> inflationary at this point. Um, it had a little bit of a narrative wobble, I think, with uh, the high fees and like the interoperability of L2s not being amazing. But I think the boomers are going to love the yield clipping. You know, they, they love clipping coupons. They're going to like that stuff. Uh, restaking, you know, they're, they're going to they're gonna get into it pretty hard. Okay, I, I wanna, we're going to have this ETH discussion. But Melton, I want to ask you, is the ETH ETF trade an obvious trade? I mean, when we talk in May and June... Is ETH going to be higher because there's an ETF, an ETH ETF on the horizon, or just about, or just ready to launch? Um, you know, I'm not going to mid curve it, right? Let's left curve it and say, yes, absolutely. ETH is not Bitcoin. I just, we're, I don't think we're going to see five billion of inflows in 30 days into an ETH ETF. Just very simply put, um, I also think that. Like Bitcoin is still king daddy of crypto liquidity. Um, ETH for a long time, right? Last cycle, certainly ETH was sort of the gateway to the rest of the crypto ecosystem. You no longer have to go through ETH. A lot of people are getting their first exposure to the crypto ecosystem through Solana or other high throughput chains that have much lower fees, right? Because when you're trading 50, 100 bucks, you don't want to spend 20, $30 on transaction fees. It just doesn't make 
sense. So I think for a lot of the newcomers in this next cycle, ETH is not going to be their first entry point into crypto. And I do think that fundamentally changes the dynamics. That's my view. That's probably very mid-curve of me. Um, doesn't sound, so it doesn't sound like you're that much of an ETH bull. It sounds like you're medi- lukewarm, mediocre at best on ETH. Um, I would look, I, I love Ethereum. I think Ethereum has done incredible things for the crypto ecosystem. I think when it comes to the application layer, Ethereum is still sort of the place for innovation at the moment. And I think the restaking narrative, right, that's emerging with Eigenlayer is going to be a huge one. I think it unlocks a tremendous amount of liquidity just in terms of like staked ETH and using that as liquid collateral across the DeFi ecosystem. I do think Ethereum has a very complicated scaling roadmap. I do think the Ethereum narrative has has struggled, as Jordi has pointed out. Um, the question for me is like Bitcoin has a very unique narrative, right? Like Bitcoin is digital gold. Bitcoin is money backed by physics. Like Bitcoin has a very strong narrative in my view. Some people see that as a negative. I actually think that's a very big positive for Bitcoin that makes people feel very comfortable holding Bitcoin. Um, What I struggle with a bit more is, does Ethereum have the same strength of narrative and can it maintain market share as more and more L1s launch, whether they have the SVM or compatibility with Ethereum's EVM, which allows you to utilize a lot of the Ethereum DAP ecosystem, right, on those newer, higher throughput chains. The question is, can Ethereum preserve mindshare and market share? That's the open question for me. I don't actually have a definitive answer. I think the Ethereum community is very strong, but there are no real Ethereum maxis. There are a ton of hardcore toxic Bitcoin maxis who are sort of like the the army of, of Bitcoin. Ethereum doesn't really have that type of loyalty. I can't really name a lot of Ethereum maxis. So that narrative loyalty, I don't I don't know if that's there. I don't know, Jordi, I'd love you. Your thoughts, Jody, but I, I, I want to hear your views here. I mean, it, it, it looks like you're dying to say something. No, I mean, I, I do know a bunch of people that I would consider Ethereum maxis at least, <laughs> like Sasano and, you know. Um, very few, uh, very few. Yeah. Well, that, that, that uh, I don't know. I, I feel like the Ethereum people who really believe in it are still around. Look, I, I have used like some of the other chains. I've been playing around. I played with Sui. It's yeah, it is like water. It's just like you click, click, and then like stuff goes through. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, it's a bit annoying, like you know. Welcome, for- welcome to the other side, sir. Welcome to the other side. <laughs> I, 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 I'll tell you. I'll tell you the way. I tell you the way I see Ethereum, and I've said it before. I think that in a world where you have things like Sui, and I, I must say, Sui is an amazing experience, and you have things like Solana. And Solana is an amazing experience. It's, it's allowed people to trade in and out of meme coins, which they didn't, or they couldn't ordinarily do because of, of fees and stuff like that. I think the only thing that ETH actually has going for it is ETH and TVL and everything that's already built on it. And I think that if like any developer who's looking for anything other than TVL or needs 100% decentralization and reliability, I, I don't think Solana did any favors to itself by going down again. I mean, other than that, I don't real I don't see the reason to be bullish on ETH. And that's why I'm not that bullish on the ETH ETF trade. 
you know, you, you said TVL as if it's like one of 10 things and maybe it is one of 10 things, but it matters more than the other nine things combined. Uh, you know, it's all about like, where's the money, right? Like, what do you mean? Like, uh, I mean, yeah, some gaming stuff doesn't matter. You know, they'll, they'll build anywhere that's fast. And, and I think gaming is uh, maybe going to be on L3s, right? Like on top of IMX or something. Like, it's not going to be like anything related to base Ethereum. But when it comes to like DeFi, right, which is um, maybe the, the biggest use case, yeah, like you look at some of these chains and like Celestia, like some of these other ones, you know, what's the TVL on these chains? Like there's no money there, so you can't really do that much. Um, so I think it matters more. And I think it's hard to envision, you know, all the like 100 billion of stable coins moving to um like Sui right away, maybe maybe over time. Okay, Melton, what do you think? I mean, to what Jordi is saying. I look. I still maintain. I think Ethereum has tremendous amount of mindshare right now. I do think a lot of the wealth that has been created in the last two crypto cycles, in particular, right, the first cycle was very Bitcoin and non-Ethereum shitcoin focused, right? If you remember some of the very early. ICOs like Mastercoin and, and Dash. That was cycle one. Cycle two, advent of Ethereum ERC-20 tokens. Cycle three, this last cycle, we had a lot of DeFi and again, very Ethereum uh, focused. Now we have the emergence of L2s and other high throughput L1s. I think it's going to start to shift. The question is, how quickly does that happen? And what does Ethereum's role in that new world look like? Open, open question. Um, Again, my view is, and this is sort of maybe a heretical view here, my view is, is the loyalty that people have to Ethereum is not at all similar to the loyalty that people have to Bitcoin. Bitcoin is religion to people. Bitcoin is mantra. Satoshi, you know, is this messianic figure to people. Bitcoin is religion. Ethereum is, is not religion to people. It's big hot ball of money, liquidity, DeFi, you know, access to the Sky Casino. But now there's all these new roads into the Sky Casino that are faster, cheaper, that have their own doctrine, their own sort of philosophy. So um, I'm I'm not convinced on, you know, ETH being the dominant narrative um, for I mean, all things sort of innovation over the next two to five years. I just... There are a lot I'm of... There are a lot of layer two launches on ETH now. I mean, you've got Starknet coming up now. You've probably got ZK Sync coming up. You've got Eigenlayer, which you can kind of say arguably is some kind of ETH, not, not an ETH well, layer two. Let's not forget Base. Base is huge, right? Because Base is directly accessible through Coinbase.com, which for so many people is still the on-ramp into the crypto ecosystem. So, I mean, maybe the, the, the narrative is not the ETH narrative, but it's the ETH L2 narrative. And then the ETH L2 narrative is, is kind of like, a, to me, almost feels like a race in itself. Is it going to be ZK Sync? Is it going to be, I mean, is it going to be optimism? Is it, when I say base, when I say optimism, I kind of mean optimism slash base. Is it going to be, is it going to be Arbitrum? Is it going to be, I mean, I don't know. It could be that, that actually the, the, the narrative is all the different L2s, right? I mean, Matic... <laughs> But let's not forget, right, that L2s also, we're starting to see L2s that make the EVM compatible with other higher throughput layer one chains, right? So this idea that liquidity is going to stay sort of stranded on ETH layer one, or it's going to be 
to ETH specifically, I, I don't know if I agree with that, right? Because you've got Wormhole, you've got Eclipse launching soon, which is going to bridge the SVM, um, right? And so there's all of these new things launching that are going to help that big hot ball of money that's currently TVL on Ethereum move elsewhere. So to me, the question is like, what are the competitive moats that are going to keep capital in the Ethereum system on Ethereum L1? And that's where, you know, the narrative is also really important. And I think the narrative is starting to, to shift a bit. There is a lot of focus right now on high throughput new L1s and a lot of enthusiasm because the upside is much higher. I mean, I must say from what you're saying, it does sound yeah. to me that most of the TVL will migrate off Ethereum. And when I say off Ethereum, it will migrate into all the different side chains, into I don't know, all the side chains that we've spoken to. And I mean, that's probably where the most TVL capture would be. Jody, you were about to say something? Yeah, I'm, I'm not as big on the Alt L1s. There's always going to be 20, 30 new Alt L1s every cycle, and they're all going to pump. It's always like, you know, like the big VCs, they just keep investing in them, and it just always works. It never fails. Um but at the end of the day, I think, you know, most of them don't exist like four years later, only like one or two even are, stay relevant at all. Um, like which ones are apart from Solana, you know, you could arguably say like Avalanche is still alive. But, um, you know, you, you kind of you see that a lot of them don't survive very long. I'm going to disagree with you, Jordi. I'm going to disagree we with you, too. Top 20, top 20 right now, Solana, $50 billion market cap. Cardano, twenty-one billion. Avalanche. It's not, it's not like say Cardano is like yeah. any Polkadot. anything that anyone I uses. Haven't heard, I haven't heard a peep out of Polkadot ecosystem. That's an eleven billion dollar ecosystem. Yeah, but still. but but we could. I mean, you could argue that the that, market's just mispricing them. Let's look at. Let's not look at market cap. Let's look at. Let's look at usage on chain. So I mean, we can say that Solana really does have usage on chain, right? I mean, you, you can't argue that. BSC. But are we yeah. talking? About, but are we talking about investing here? Well, That's look, like, but I mean, like, at some point, fundamentals. Rand, do you want to be right or do you want to make money? If the objective is to make money, you follow the, the big hot ball of money. Yeah, but and I think what Jordy's saying is the, the hot yeah. ball of money is going to become a hot potato and it's going to be chucked from and, and at the end of the cycle, which is, you know, what, what matters when you want to make money is how much money you keep, not how much money you make. And I think what Jordi is saying, at the end of it, all of these things are going to start coming down and maybe, maybe, maybe one or two of them are going to survive. Did I get it right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, if you're invested in Cardano and Polkadot this cycle and you're, you think you're going to outperform, you're, you're not going to make it. And maybe they're still top 20 because, you know, we still don't have that many like, you know, world-class legit stuff. But once Eigenlayer launches and Monad launches and some of these things start to kind of creep up, those things will fall off, right? And right now, I don't know that like you want to have a, an allocation to some of these coins. Even like XRP, I mean, it's not performing well. I was looking at the price. It, it was let's not it was, let's it, not it was doubled. Let's not bring okay. back let's uh -huh. not bring back skeletons. But one thing I can say to you is that the, the technology. Oh my goodness! I just like glossed over it on my little screen. How? <laughs> one thing I can say though. One thing I can say, though, is that the technology that we're seeing now is much better technology. Like, as you say, a lot of people are using SUI and SUI does work and it works very well and it's comfortable to use. It's very, very, very user friendly. If you look at this, the, this, the speed that you're getting out of the say blockchain, unparalleled speeds, I think, in, in the industry. Yes, there, there are a couple of trade-offs, 
but and you know the use cases around Celestia for data availability like these things are things that we need in the infrastructure that don't currently exist and are being filled now you know my investment thesis is do I rather want to be in eth or do I rather want to be in these shiny objects that may actually change the world and I don't know my 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 degenus, the magnet inside my degenus pulls me more towards being part of these things than staying in the ETH ecosystem. But that's because I'm a DJ. But <laughs> there must be some building at Meltem's house. There's like drilling. There. Do you hear this? Just, it's all good. It's all good. You, we can hear you. We can hear you. And when you talk, we don't hear it. Okay, so what I was going to say is, okay, I think this question though, Ran, it really depends on the type of investor that you are and how much time you dedicate to investing in and trading crypto. Agreed. For the average person, this is why the Bitcoin ETF is great. Someone like my dad, he's like, crypto, awesome. He's not going to spend time. Oh, can you hear it? Yeah, talk. It's, you, when, we, when you talk, we don't hear it. I don't know what the fuck is going on. Um. <laughs> But like for someone like my dad, right? Bitcoin is a great way to access crypto. He's in his Fidelity account. He can just type in the ticker, buy, doesn't have to think about it, doesn't have to read about crypto, doesn't have to learn anything, doesn't have to download an app. I try to get him on Coinbase. He's like, no, thank you. I'm good. So perfect for that type of investor. That's why I actually think Ethereum ETF, the way it's going to get marketed by institutions is like, oh, Ethereum's like the gateway to the world of composability, DeFi, you know, this exciting world of smart contracts, programmable money. Great. They're going to love it. Buy the ticker in your brokerage account. Cool. You're good. You don't need to, you know, be hopping between chains. Idiots like me and you ran. Jordi, I'm lumping you in with us. I'm sorry. I have like 17 different wallets in my browser. I have three different phones. Like I'm a complete degenerate. I'm on every chain. I'm doing all the things. I spend all my time on this. For me, all the L1s make sense, but it really depends. Like what type of investor are you? What's your appetite for risk and how plugged in are you? The reality is a lot of people this cycle, I think, are going to get into crypto through these new L1s. They're not even going to know about Ethereum. They're just going to know Sui or Solana or whatever the L1 is they use to get into the ecosystem. They're not even going to know how to use Ether. Like I've been meeting people who've never used Ethereum. Their only experience with crypto to date is using Solana. Or actually the one that's been getting um, a lot of utilization, which is really interesting to me, is people who've been using like os Osmosis and using Cosmos. That's their experience with crypto which is crazy, right? Because we think of everyone learning about crypto and, and DeFi and on-chain, all the things through Ethereum. But there are all these newcomers for whom that's not the case because they're not spending, you know, 20 to $30 on-chain for a transaction. Jordi, what do you think? I think the L2s are going to make it, I mean, it's already like 10 cents to, to use like Mantle or ZK Sync. And the other ones are, you know, going to get cheaper once 4844 comes comes on. Um, the cost is like the one thing I agree, like nobody wants to spend 20 bucks and, I, you know, I can afford it, but I still hate like, you know, when I do something on mainnet and it's just like, Kills okay, me. $32. Absolutely yeah. destroys my, destroys every part of my being when I do shit on Ethereum. Yeah. But the reality is attention is limited. And, um, the thing that Ethereum has at least is that everybody has heard of it. Everybody knows what it is. There's all the builders there. There's all the conferences, everything's going on. I have no idea what's going on on Aptos. Like, I know the name. I have no zero things happening there. My attention is limited. 
I can, and I'm, I'm on this stuff like all day. I, uh, I live and breathe 24 hours. I'm breathing crypto. If you're not getting my attention, like, how are you, how are you going to like onboard? I don't know. A million. Okay. So, let, so oh, let me go. One. But Jordy's already rich. <laughs> like you're already plugged into crypto. If, if you I go out there and you talk to people on the street, like I met someone last week who actually uses Monero like to, to fund his his life. He uses privacy coins. He's completely off the grid. Like the people who are actually using crypto, actually, they, they live a totally different reality than you and me, Jordy. And I feel out of touch. Like we're kind of the boomers of, of crypto in a way, I think. So hold on, Jordy, Jordy, I, I, need, I need to ask you this. In terms of your like your your investing thesis, I mean, what does it look like? What are you what are you putting your money into? So, you know, we do a good amount of seed rounds and we try to like look at what's innovative. I'm kind of done with like this life cycle thing of like, oh, this is Curve, but it's on Avalanche or this is like the Uniswap on Polygon. Like, I don't care about that stuff. Um, if you're doing something a little bit different, a little bit unique, um, you know, we're, we're looking at it intense, for example, like I think account abstraction intense is going to be what's going to make people use crypto because... They don't need to like figure out the slippage and all this thing. They just want to say like, I want to buy this. And like, it just magically gets done behind the scenes and they don't want to figure out the gas and all these things. Um, so that's a space that, you know. And in terms of, in terms of listed tokens on the market, so like Bitcoin, Ethereum, I know you're a big investor in the L2s. I know that you're also a chief, they call you a chief optimism officer. What, what is that? Chief, chief, chief alchemist. I, I ah. make the magic happen. Yeah. Okay, so I know I know you're a chief alchemist of of a of a, an L two, um, yeah. I mean, other than the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Ethereum L two landscape, what does Jordy's listed token investment thesis look like? Look, I mean, I'm not a fan of uh, like multi billion projects for beta because they can only pump a little bit, like you know, a few x. Um, so generally, like when I get outside of Bitcoin and ETH. Uh, which I have big holdings in those. It looks like um, up and coming stuff that I think is gonna catch fire. And um, you know, I was looking today at Axelar. I think at one billion, it's 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 quite reasonable. I think uh, Layer Zero and Wormhole are gonna be ten billion. Um, so there there is like some plays that are are still quite interesting. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, I must say Axelar. By the way, you know that the last round that they raised. Uh, before the token listed in the previous cycle was actually a, a dollar. And I think right now it's probably trading more or less at, at the same price. So, I mean, but yeah, I mean, I, I hear your thesis. Meltem, I know that you're, um, uh, I know that you're a full-on degen. Um, and look, I read somewhere that if you go long stacks, then Meltem will go on a date with you. I don't know if that's just a rumor. That is. Correct. I am going on three dates in the next week um, with Stacks community members. Yep. Why are you so bullish? And I must say, I did a show on Stacks uh, yesterday, actually, funny enough. Um, interested to know why you're so bullish on Stacks. Stacks has obviously been performing very, 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 very well. It's at all-time highs. It's, it's, it's broken every single market structure if you're looking at the charts. So just keen to, to hear why you're so, uh, why you're so bullish. And it's still so undervalued. I think Stacks is a top 20 coin. It's a no-brainer for me. Look, I think um, one of the really fascinating things is, right, Bitcoin, $1 trillion asset, 50% dominance. You know, that has sort of stayed 
pretty much unchanged over over time. Um, but Bitcoin has been very, very sort of uh, static. Like there's no big hot ball of money effect. I think Stacks L2 um, posts the having right? Nakamoto upgrades coming. I think we're going to see a lot of innovation um, in Bitcoin DeFi enabled by Stacks. And then there's a bunch of really cool stuff getting built right now on top of Bitcoin. Um, Bitcoin compatible EVM tooling. Uh, we're seeing bridges getting built on Bitcoin. We're seeing like MEV um, is, is coming to Bitcoin. So all of these things we've seen in other ecosystems that have really helped improve liquidity and drive velocity of money are going to start to come to Bitcoin. And so for me, it's kind of like a a no-brainer um, because Bitcoin still has so much mind share, right? Bitcoin is still the dominant asset. It has 15 years of on-chain history that we can look to. Um, and so for me, innovation on top of Bitcoin, sort of this really, really big narrative cycle that is kind of getting ignored in favor of all of these shiny new toys and other places, which I'm excited about shiny new toys. I like shiny new toys, but I think building on top of Bitcoin just makes so much sense because there's such a huge capital base. There's so much liquidity. If even a couple percent of Bitcoin move into these L2s, um, that's a, just a tremendous, tremendous amount of and, capital. And you just see that I, anywhere else. Yeah, I think Stacks is, the, is the, the, the predominant, probably the only real L2 on Bitcoin. I know there's a lot of stuff going on, but I think, I think Stacks takes that market share. Where else is your headspace? Last time you came on, you were very much on this deeper narrative and it's done phenomenally, phenomenally, phenomenally well. My narrative hasn't changed in the last four years. My narrative, my investment thesis is very simple. We need energy. We need computation, connectivity and storage. We need financial engineering, capital markets to make those things possible at scale. And crypto is the way we, we do that. That's it. It's very simple. So I think Deepin is a big part of that. Deepin right now has been very focused on the compute and connectivity side. I'm keen to see more energy Deepin. I have two projects I'm, I'm working with there, but if anyone's working on energy Deepin, I'm your girl. Give me a shout. I'm sorry not to use the show to like to, to, to encourage. No, please, no. I mean, this is what it's for, right? Um, so energy narrative is just getting started ton of vaporware but also a lot of really exciting traction and there's just really beautiful recursivity right as the deep end narrative starts to take off people start to pay more attention to it leads to more capital going into it leads to more opportunities with legitimate players leads to these business models actually starting to work at scale so that again like greed is the most beautiful flywheel deepens just starting to see that sort of asymptotic hockey stick moment so still very excited about that what else? So, and, and wait, maybe specifically in Deepin, any specific narrative, any specific projects that you see on the market that you like, um, that yeah. that stick out for you? Yeah, I think distributed compute is a huge narrative, right? So, I think Render, which is distributed GPU computation, huge narrative. Um, there's a new project. I'm not an investor in it, but I wish I was. Um, Grass that's using excess CPU cycles on your computer. You can farm it out to do data scraping um, for for AI consumption. Um, anything basically where you're taking a bunch of distributed resources and aggregating them together using crypto primitives, I think is incredibly exciting. That's what we did with Bitcoin, right? We built the world's most powerful supercomputer because Bitcoin mining is highly profitable, right? The Bitcoin network facilitated the creation of this global network of specialized hardware, these ASICs, consuming a tremendous amount of power, securing the world's you know, first digitally native asset, Bitcoin. So very, 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 very excited about any models that are facilitating the build out of these distributed 
compute resources. Um, connectivity, I think, is a huge narrative that's taking off. Helium's doing this in real time, but there's a few others like Althea, which has now rebranded to Hawk. Um, so generally very excited just about distributed computation. Any area, I think, where we see high CapEx requirements, right? Like institutions around the world are, are struggling, are failing. Um, we're not in a zero interest rate environment anymore. So how are you going to incentivize people to invest in CapEx, right? Particularly the challenges around private equity at the moment. You give them points, you give them tokens. Like to me, that's it's, it's a, a no brainer. I know it sounds ridiculous, but I'm very, very bullish on this. I'm very along this thesis. And um, I think I must it can't fit. I, I must say I agree with you. And initially, when we first saw the dis, di, distributed compute projects launching in the 2020-2021 cycle, I thought, there's no way these things can work. And the ones that survived and went to this cycle, and I'm, I'm talking things like Render, Akash, Ayaz, uh, there are a whole lot, there are a whole lot, there's Nusana on, on Solana, there's a whole lot of there are a whole lot of others. The ones that actually survived was like, wow. Now we're actually starting to see the real use case. Now we've got this AI revolution. We all, we all of a sudden realize that the most valuable commodity right now is actually computing power. We can't get enough of this computing power. And actually we've got enough computing power if we can just you know, organize a bunch of decentralized computers. And it just seems that crypto is like the only way to do this. And so uh, in this cycle, I've become ridiculously bullish. De de distributed compute. I want to be- Go but ahead. then the other thing on that, sorry, Ryan, if I may. So yes, creating these networks is very important. But then on top of that, think about all of the financial engineering that needs to happen, right? I come from the world of commodities. We were selling spot commodities. Right now we sell spot compute. Why are we not selling derivatives and other sort of exotic instruments to help people hedge and speculate on compute and connectivity and all of these primitives you know, that are the core raw material inputs to this digital world we're living in. So I'm also excited about all of the incredible and insane financial engineering that is going to be enabled around all of these resources that perform work of various kinds to enable this, this digital world we all live in or want to live in. So that's why crypto, I think, really, really starts to shine. What about decentralized file storage? So there's Filecoin, there's Arweave, there's a whole lot of others, but that sector hasn't yet woken up as much as the decentralized compute. Like, so if I look at decentralized compute, people have woken up to decentralized compute. Render, uh, uh, we've mentioned them. When I look at decentralized file storage, different story. So Filecoin, not many people speak about it, although I do know it's a great protocol and we're actually investors. Arweave, again, you know, long-term file storage, also investors in, in the project. What do you think? Am I missing something or is the market just going to catch up to what to what we're invested in? Yeah, I think the, the question with file storage sort of twofold. One is the narrative is not as in, intuitive, uh, right? I, I think the narrative of, hey, I'm paying for computation, much easier to understand supply and demand. I think for file storage, a little bit more complex. And also, I think the dynamics around payments for file storage are a little bit different than compute because file storage is something that's needed in perpetuity, whereas computation is like a, it's... I need it uh, now. It's, you, I need it now. And I may need consumption exactly right so it's a little bit of a different model i think some of the challenges around long-term storage are just really the dynamics around offering um storage in perpetuity but pricing it in real time today so how do you sort of calculate like the the network's resource needs to allow you to do that so i think the narrative and just understanding the dynamics a bit more complex number one number two i also just don't think that 
we're quite at the point in the cycle where storage is seen as a, a bottleneck. Everyone's in agreement that definitely compute is a bottleneck and there's real market demand. There are people willing to pay for high performance compute in particular, but for storage, right? We had a brief period where solid state drives, SSDs were really hard to find because people were farming Chia, which is amazing to me. Like I love that crypto markets and new crypto protocols can actually impact the demand for hardware. That's like- I think I think I hear what you're saying. There's also no shortage of supply of file storage at the moment. And there is a massive story, a shortage of supply of, of GPU power. Jordi uh, I'm, I'm, and, and Meltem, I mean, just before you guys go, uh, any other narratives that you're completely bullish on? So Deepin, you're bullish on, I think you've broken down your thesis very, very, very well. Um, are you still that bullish on memes? I know you always say the meme is, you're the biggest. I'm so fucking bullish on memes. Any memes that you're so fucking bullish on? I mean, for me, it's still, we got the frogs, we got the dogs, we got a few cats in the mix. Um, but I think like when the doggies start running, that's when things really take off. So that's what I'm always watching is like, what are my dogs doing? Now I got frogs and cats <laughs> to watch as well. But like the thesis is so simple. We got frogs, dogs, dogs. kitty. Okay. I, I like uh, I like I like the dragons more than those, Malcolm. I gotta get you into the dragons. So Fufu, Fufu. No, no, there's 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 some other dragons. I'm, I'm gonna... You called me a degen ran. You guys are trading coins. <laughs> but look, I think what's interesting, Bitcoin, 50% of the market cap of crypto, right? So two trillion dollars sky casino, a trillion dollars of that is Bitcoin, like 250 billion, 280 billion of that is ETH. Right. So we're already what 66% allocated. Meme coins are 1% of the crypto market. They're teeny tiny. I think they're really fun. I also think meme coins is what gets my friends into crypto. It's like, it's funny. I have a little dog. I have a dog with a hat. I have this little frog. Like the frog is, I think it's fun. Crypto at its core is a little bit ridiculous. And so I think memes are just such an important component of crypto culture that they will always have a place in my heart. And in my portfolio, <laughs> Jody. Yeah, so I, I think like uh, meme coins need to develop to like next gen meme coins because if it's just a ticker, uh, that gets kind of old. Uh, so I think the the content we're seeing that a little bit with uh, what what Pudgy Penguins did, where like there were a lot of NFT collections last cycle. There were a lot of them that went down ninety five percent, and then there's like a few that have actually like done really well. And it's because of like creating things and giving like a community like something to use and talk about and watch. So I think uh, well, the meme coins that are actually going to do well are the ones that are going to start having like you know weekly movies or like clips or having like you know like more active like memes coming out like meme contests and stuff like that. Otherwise, um, yeah, I think it's a little bit like two v one, and I want to see the v two. Amazing guys, listen, I'm completely out of time. Love you guys madly. Always love the alpha that the, the two of you bring. So thank you so, so, so much. See you guys again soon. Thank you so much for being here. Meltem, be well. Jordi, be well. Thank you so much for all the alpha. And to you guys in the banter fam, I will see you guys again on Monday. Until then, trade well, my friends. And don't forget to tap, 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 tap. See you Monday.